Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut grand opening of Mad Villain Bistro Bed and Breakfast Bar Grill Cafe Lounge on the Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Terry Talks Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clayton Terry. And this week, it's just me giving you a Oscars breakdown for the 2022 ceremony. So this is sort of becoming a tradition, you could say. I am someone who really enjoys the Oscars. Well, I guess I have a love-hate relationship with them in the sense of I love the artistry and I love the awarding of people that are producing great work and just a celebration of film for a night, but also there are politics and some pretty shitty opinions and all that different stuff that works its way into uh, the ceremony as it would with any sort of uh, organization like this. But at the end of the day, I think it's a celebration of some of the year's best movies, at least hopefully. And that's always fascinated me and I enjoy talking about it. So hopefully you enjoy listening. And we're just going to run through some of the nominees, some of my thoughts overall on both the ceremony and the films. And the incident. (laughs) So I'll just say that I am going to probably talk about that at the very end. It feels weird to not talk about it at all, but also I want to not give short shrift to all the great films and incredibly hardworking, talented people that made those films. So I'll talk about the moment that everyone's talking about uh, towards the end, but first I want to talk about the ceremony and the films and all of that. So first, uh, just looking at the nominees overall, this was an interesting year in the sense that it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't, like, life-changing. There weren't any films in the Best Picture list or even beyond that that really blew me away. Dune and Drive My Car are my two favorite films of the year. Both made its way into my top five, and I really enjoy those films. But even those weren't life-changing films that... Every year it feels like there's at least one or two in the Oscars uh, conversation that is really like that for me. And I just didn't see that this year. Uh, it wasn't, they weren't bad. In fact, I would probably enjoy, I would probably recommend all of these movies, but it was a lot of like three and a half or four stars for me. I'm a letterboxed person, so um, that's kind of how I judge it. Not bad, but pretty predictable. I would compare this to 2017, which is one of my favorite years uh, for cinema that I've been alive for, and some of the Best Picture nominees in that category included Shape of Water, which ended up winning, Dunkirk, the Chris Nolan movie that is just absolutely uh, mind-boggling and one of the most inventive war films I've seen, Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird, which both really touched me and are great coming-of-age stories, and Get Out, which is one of the best screenplays of this millennia so far and kind of revolutionized the horror genre in a way and made it more social socially and politically conscious in a way that I think is really really good and inventive for the genre and you just don't see that anywhere in these nominees that said there were some record breakers of course some films that you don't usually see in the Oscars and those are always good but just in terms of quality and my enjoyment uh, none of them really blew me away One theme from this year's Oscars nominations that I did really appreciate was the presence of LGBTQ plus stories on film. Some of these center queer characters like The Power of the Dog, 
the Netflix film, which was uh, a front runner for Best Picture, I would argue, but as we'll talk about later, didn't exactly win. Uh, Flea, which is a animated documentary about a gay Afghani fleeing Afghanistan and kind of his life that happens after that as he's recounting it to a friend. Uh, the Mitchells and the Machines, which features a queer character, but isn't necessarily um, about her identity. It's more so about a relationship with a parent and finding yourself when you're in that tra- transitional period between high school and college. Or Luca, which is a queer story. Don't at me. So these all feature queer characters front and center, but others have them scattered amongst their cast. So I'm thinking about the inclusion of non-binary representation in West, in West Side Story through the character of anybody's and doing that explicitly. Uh, to the friends of John Larson and Tick, Tick, Boom, and that all being about the AIDS crisis and its impact on the queer community and its closest allies. What is so refreshing about these representations is that diversity within them. In previous years where gay stories were featured at the Oscars, it was usually in the context of romance, such as Moonlight or Call Me By Your Name, which I already mentioned. I truly truly love both those movies more than most of this year's selection honestly but it's important to see queer characters outside of love stories and that's exactly what we got this year that's because while our identities are obviously coming into play while we are falling in love it also comes into play when we are at work interacting with our families or reacting to the events of the world that's why this year i'm grateful to say there is an oscar contender for every lgbtq plus member in the community whether it is being attracted to men in the aging American West, how that influences one's masculine self-image in The Power of the Dog, uh, the story of a gay refugee feeling as though they have to hide every aspect of their identity from their family to their sexuality, uh, to improving a strained relationship with your father during the robot apocalypse via Rihanna's songs. Uh, Those are just some more descriptions on some of the titles I named earlier, but you're probably starting to get the picture, so... And what was exciting is it even goes beyond the nominees, right? So, for example, West Side Stories, Ariana DeBose was the first win of the night and also the first openly queer woman of color to ever win an acting Oscar. And she gave an impassioned speech about how queer people deserve space and deserve to be seen around any industry, but especially in Hollywood. Quote, To anybody who's ever questioned your identity, ever, 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 or you find yourself living in the gray spaces, I promise you this, there is indeed a place for us. So, in a year that was lackluster, in a night that was uh, pretty difficult to watch, this was one silver lining that actually uh, gave me hope and made me really happy going into this Oscars ceremony, and then it continued on with Ariana DeBose's win. Okay, so with that, let's talk about the ceremony itself. So, I basically thought this was a disaster. (laughs) Um, I want to preface maybe by saying this is an incredibly difficult job, and in a lot of ways a thankless one. If a ceremony goes off without a hitch, no one really applauds the people who put it on, and if it goes completely wrong, everyone gets blamed and has to just take the criticism and carry themselves bigger than that and just deal with it. They can't really snap back at anything, um, even though a lot of it is out of their control. But that said, it was a disaster last night. So it was hosted by Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and Wanda Sykes. I am not super familiar with any of their works, 
Um, I know the impact they've had on film and the comedy scene, but they've never really been my taste personally. Um, and I wasn't exactly blown away by anything they happened to do throughout the night that is especially apparent in the monologue, which I thought was pretty rough. If I could make one change <laughs> to all Oscar hosts and their monologues and everything they talk about, I would just get rid of the joke that they haven't seen the movies that are nominated. Like, <laughs> we are here to celebrate these people who worked hard and put in this art that was hopefully seen by millions of people around the world but even if it wasn't there's still value in that art and if even the people who are doing these awardings are joking about having not seen the movies I just think it's really hurtful and damaging to um, the indie scene and movies that don't have a wide audience but are hugely innovative or just really high quality films that all was pretty rough they also tried to do a like fan favorite moments section that would play uh, before going to commercial break usually. I don't know if this was voted on based on like Twitter polls the Academy sent out or on like some website or something, but it was pretty patronizing in my opinion, and it's ultimately completely meaningless. Uh, the opinions are all pretty rough. There were like five favorite moments in cinema history, and it included The Matrix, a movie I've personally never heard of, which I guess... uh. I'll take happily as a recommendation, but then three movies that came out within the last four years, and both the first place winner in these polls were Zack Snyder movies, so I'm thinking <laughs> the Zack Snyder fans figured out how to uh, enter their votes in this contest more so than everyone else did, and that's why uh, you saw Zack Snyder's Justice League at the top of both lists, I think. Um, so... Yeah, just don't don't patronize me with that. I'd rather be the I'd rather the ceremony be two minutes shorter <laughs> than having to deal with that. And I imagine it's just to increase ratings because outside of Dune, all the movies nominated for Best Picture were not particularly high grossing. I mean, Dune and Don't Look Up are probably the most viewed movies in this Best Picture category, but it's difficult for a streaming movie to feel like an event film, at least for me. Yeah, so that was kind of the comedy slash engagement aspect of the ceremony that I just thought was pretty rough and needs some needs some polishing. <laughs> that all said, the biggest disappointment of the night was the live performance, specifically of We Don't Talk About Bruno, and it was so frustrating because this is one of the biggest Disney songs basically ever, definitely of the last however many years, and they didn't actually let the cast sing it. We got a intro of the song, and then we got Megan Thee Stallion rapping about the Oscar ceremony, and then that led into a chorus about the, the Oscars, basically, some self-congratulatory verses sung to the tune of We Don't Talk About Bruno, and it was just very pandering and very frustrating that they took a song that is beloved by so many and is a true earworm and a real opportunity for the Oscars to have maybe a viral moment. I could imagine the video of the live performance being passed around on social media and whatnot, but they just completely whiffed it in an attempt to, honestly, I don't even know what they were attempting to do, in an attempt to maybe 
put a unique spin on it, but ultimately we don't need Megan Thee Stallion in this song, and we don't need pandering lyrics about the Oscars ceremony. Just let Megan Thee Stallion do her own performance and let the cast and crew sing their own song. I I was very disappointed by that, and I watched it (laughs) with my boyfriend, and that was kind of his... uh, final moment where he completely gave up on the evening and it wasn't that far into the night it was like halfway through so that was rough and the biggest disappointment for me that said the live songs that were nominated this year so don't talk about bruno obviously wasn't nominated it wasn't even submitted by disney is my understanding but the other live performances were really good and this is of course encapsulated by uh billy eilish and her brother phineas performing no Time to Die from the James Bond film of the same title. And this was just absolutely stunning. They are both such talented songwriters and performers, but also just really fun and engaging people to watch. And I knew they would be good, uh, especially after seeing them live about a month and a half ago in Buffalo. Uh, They're just amazing and so talented. And I had a feeling that song was going to win, but if the academy could vote after the live performances which in some ways i think would be uh better for that song category they would have voted them to win anyway so really happy with that that's definitely the highlight of the evening for me and probably a video i'll be returning to quite often this is also a small thing but i really appreciated a more upbeat in memoriam this year it felt like a true celebration of the lives from those in the industry that were lost over the last year. And I think that's something they could uh, continue with to keep that section more engaging, right? You want to make sure it's still thoughtful and considerate of those who have passed and the loved ones that their loved ones that are still with us. But you don't want that to be when everyone goes to take a bathroom break or takes a minute to, I don't know, do whatever. You want that to be a respectful and engaging moment. And I think having a more upbeat choir sing that is maybe a good option to do that, and I hope they stick with that through following ceremonies. That said, it was after uh, the moment from the night, so it felt kind of like a strange juxtaposition, but I don't want to blame that necessarily on the people who organized the Oscars. Okay, so with that, I think we can get into the winners. So just to kind (laughs) of, I guess, talk my credentials, uh, I have seen about a little more than 70% of these movies. I've seen all the winners except one, which I'll talk about when we get to it. So, I mean, I'm not a person of any authority (laughs) by any means, but I've at least seen the movies, so I'm not completely uh, (laughs) talking out of my ass with this. But So yeah, I'm just going to run through some of the smaller categories all the way up to Best Picture based on the ballot that I have, which is from Vanity Fair, which I always recommend their ballots. They're the prettiest. (laughs) So as I go through this list, I've picked out five movies that you may have missed, most of which you could watch right now if you have access to the internet and some of the more common streaming services. So I wanted to highlight some of the movies that were underseen this year, um, especially in the short film category, that are definitely worth your time, especially if it's only 20 minutes, if that. So starting with those shorts that I just mentioned, uh, first documentary short, The Queen of Basketball, This is a short about one of the greatest women, uh, really anyone, to ever grace the sport of basketball, but her life ultimately 
took a different path after she graduated from college. And I just wanted to highlight that one because it did win and definitely deserved it in my opinion. And that's one of my five films that I would recommend. So the link to that is going to be in the description. You can find it on YouTube. Looking at live action short, uh, this was a really exciting category for me because Riz Ahmed is who won, so he finally has an Oscar. For those who don't know, Riz Ahmed is a great actor who's in a bunch of stuff from The Sound of Metal to Rogue One. I know he's in Venom, <laughs> so real wide uh, array, but he's super talented and just improves everything that he is in. And he had a short film called The Long Goodbye, which incorporates his talent for spoken word and rap into his acting and writing and creating. And that is a film I'd highly recommend. Really powerful, and that's another one of my top five underseen films. So that's going to be linked in the description. Animated short. This went to Windshield Wiper, which I was pretty disappointed by. I would have liked Robin Robin to win. This is a Netflix short film that is pretty fun and cute, just about a Robin trying to fit in with a family of mice. And pretty simple. This was sort of disappointing category for me. Windshield Wiper and Affairs of the Art, I really disliked. Box Ballet was okay, and Bestia I hear good things about, but I haven't seen yet. So, yeah. Windshield Wiper, not super happy with that, but Robin Robin is one I would recommend. Visual effects and sound and production design all went to Dune. No real surprises there, and definitely deserving. Uh, visual effects is the only category Spider-Man No Way Home was nominated for, and I think that was a mistake that was a really strong blockbuster of the last year and obviously one of the most seen movies from the entire year based on box office numbers and just cultural impact. So it would have made sense for the Oscars to kind of give it the Black Panther treatment and let a Marvel movie branch out beyond just the visual effects category. But we didn't see that and even still it probably should have it probably should have been doing that one's this category and all three of these. Makeup and hairstyling went to The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I just caught right before the Oscar ceremony, uh, about like the weekend before, and that's a really powerful, quite enjoyable film, honestly, kind of gives the I, Tanya treatment to Tammy Faye, uh, and a lot of that is chalked up to, and a lot of that is chalked up to Jessica Chastain, who we'll talk about in a second, obviously, um, but the makeup and hairstyling in that film is great and definitely deserves that Oscar. Editing went to Dune, which definitely makes sense. Uh, that was one of the strongest movies of that year. I talked about it in the top five podcast that we did not too long ago, but I saw it in IMAX and the, the screen still didn't feel big enough and it's not easy to create that kind of scale. So editing and cinematography both kind of chalked up in that and those both went to Dune. Costume design. Now this is the one film I haven't seen. Uh, Cruella won. Based on the pictures, I definitely think that's deserving. Honestly, anyone in this category deserved it. Cyrano uh, had great costumes, Dune, obviously, as well as Nightmare Alley, which I wish gotten a little bit more love this ceremony, but oh well. And West Side Story 2 had great costume design that really did a good job of immersing you into the uh, setting. Original song, this went to No Time to Die, Billie Eilish and Phineas. No real surprises there, probably the most deserving song in the category, especially, like I was saying, after that live performance. That said, it would have been really nice for the song from Encanto to win, uh, just because I am a Lin-Manuel Miranda fan, and seeing him have an EGOT would be uh, definitely worthwhile, but such is life when you have a competitive category. Original score went to Dune, 
Hans Zimmer, pretty predictable and makes sense in my opinion. Now, documentary feature. This was an interesting category, so I haven't seen uh, all these films. In fact, I've only seen Flea and Summer of Soul, but both of those are in my top five underseen films that I would recommend to you. So Flea, you can watch uh, on Hulu, and Summer of Soul, you can watch either on Hulu or Disney+. Plus. So if you have either of those streaming services, I highly recommend you check those out. I talked about Flea a little bit, but Summer of Soul, which ended up winning for context, is about a festival that took place in Harlem that was just that. It was all soul music that had showings for many weekends. Uh, I forget what year it was, but during that summer of that year. And it was largely attended by black performers and black artists and people of color. So, of course, given the era, it was just basically wiped from history. There was no interest in bringing that to any sort of wider audience based on the recordings they had because people just thought America wouldn't be interested in that. But luckily, Questlove uh, remedied that and brought all of these amazing performances to life in his documentary while also interviewing some of the people that were there and even some of the performers to offer some sort of context about how much that film meant to uh, people at the time that were enjoying that music but not seeing it uh, kind of outside their communities. So that's Summer of Soul and Flea and like I said highly highly recommend both of those and Summer of Soul ended up winning. Animated feature. Okay so this is my favorite category of the evening. You have Encanto, which won, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells vs. The Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. Now, Raya and the Last Dragon I thought was okay. I wasn't blown away by it, but the other four films I absolutely loved, and they all appeared in my top 20, if not in my top 20, uh, just outside of it. So, highly, highly recommend all of those films. And Encanto, I mean, it seems to have had the most cultural impact, so you could definitely argue that it deserved it, but I wouldn't have been disappointed with any of those four films walking away with the trophy. International feature, this is where I'll bring up my final film that I would recommend you see that maybe you haven't heard of yet, and this is The Worst Person in the World. So this is a film out of Norway about a woman trying to find her way in her late 20s slash early 30s. It's sort of the anti-rom-com. The director and writer described it as um, a rom-com for people who don't like rom-coms. So it is about romance and there is comedy in it, but it doesn't at all have the typical story trajectory that you would expect. It is honest about the difficulties in finding love, especially nowadays and when trying to juggle uh, career interests and finding yourself, it has sort of a La La Land energy. If the people in La La Land had no idea what they wanted to do and didn't think they were good at anything. <laughs> um, so if that at all sounds interesting to you, I don't know if I did a good job of selling it, but that is one I would highly recommend. It's been playing the indie theater circuit for a while now, and hopefully it's going to start to expand into uh, more theaters nationwide so people will get the opportunity to see it. I don't think it's on streaming at the moment, but that's kind of my uh, final recommendation that may be underseen that we didn't, haven't talked about yet in another podcast. The winner was Drive My Car out of Japan. I already talked about this film pretty extensively in my top five, but I would highly recommend that one as well, and it definitely deserved to win. 
Now, adapted screenplay. So I might mention this every year, but the screenplay categories are my favorite. Typically, um, adapted screenplay and original screenplay are when you where you typically see the most interesting films in the year. This year, I wasn't blown away, kind of how I felt for the whole evening, but adapted screenplay went to Coda. I probably would have voted Drive My Car or Power of the Dog, but Coda was an effective film and a quite competent one that was enjoyable and an important story worth telling. Original screenplay, this went to Belfast. I, again, would have liked to have seen The Worst Person in the World win this or Licorice Pizza, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's new film and was probably considered the frontrunner going into it, but... Belfast was also a great film, and it was nice seeing uh, Kenneth Branagh in his speech. Actress in a supporting role, so I talked about this one at the top in the context of queer storytelling this year, but Ariana DeBose for West Side Story. She's an amazing Anita, and honestly, maybe the best part of that movie. That being said, I really enjoyed that movie, so hopefully that carries even more weight. And she gave that great speech, so another highlight of the evening for me. That said, I would have liked to see the mom from King Richard win as well. I think she was just as good. I'm going to butcher her first name, but Ajune Ellis? Hopefully that wasn't too off, but very talented. I mean, everyone in this category was quite talented, but those two were my top two, and I would say it was worth uh, DeBose winning just so we could get that speech. Actor in a supporting role, so some history was made with this one. Uh, Troy Kutzer is the first male actor to win a Oscar who happens to be deaf and he gave a really impassioned thoughtful speech that was quite enjoyable to see and quite heartwarming and it was I loved seeing the grandmother from Minari up there I had forgotten that she won last year but uh, it reminded me what a special film Minari is too so good vibes all around for that one actress in a leading role so this was Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye in the eyes of Tammy Faye I really like this film a lot more than I thought I would. Um, maybe I'm just a sucker for the Itania treatment that the screenwriters have given to women that our culture has just completely torn down uh, over the last 50 years or so. I think that film really rests on Jessica Chastain's shoulders. If she wasn't able to convincingly portray Tammy Faye, then the film wouldn't really work. So her Oscar is definitely deserving and again she took a moment to acknowledge some of the anti-LGBTQ plus in particular anti-trans legislation that has been plaguing so many states in our country so definitely worthwhile to finally see Jessica Chastain go home with an Oscar and and she made effective use of her time on that stage. Will Smith, King Richard, actor in a leading role, we'll get into that in a minute. Director Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. Awesome to see her finally go home with an Oscar after being the first woman nominated for that position, but ended up losing to Steven Spielberg, who, ironically, she is up against again now. But um, yeah, even though Power of the Dog didn't particularly resonate with me, I still think it was a very effective film and um, an important one, and her win there is deserved, especially after... Um, just her entire filmography. And finally, Best Picture went to Coda. Now, my guess was The Power of the Dog. If I was the sole deciding vote, I probably would have gone Dune or Drive My Car, as I mentioned, but 
Coda is a film about um, a child of deaf adults, as the acronym derives itself from that term, who happens to find herself falling in love with singing. So it creates this interesting family dynamic where the only hearing person in the family happens to fall in love with something that her family can't enjoy really but however they play with that when it comes to the ending of the film without spoiling it but it was sort of like the best version of a lifetime movie so it was enjoyable to watch and it was telling a quite important story but wasn't as exciting as um some of the other films i've mentioned from previous years previous best picture winners um happy to see a film like that get uh, all the praise it did and effectively win best picture but i'm already sort of looking ahead to next year's best picture nominees and wondering if we're gonna have some more interesting films in that conversation like maybe jordan peele's new upcoming movie maybe everything everywhere all at once amy nicholson from unspooled podcast made a great comparison to um i forget what year it was but the year oliver won best picture and this was during a bunch of social upheaval, the civil rights movement, the assassinations of multiple politicians and civil rights leaders, and it goes to this like odd feel-good movie in Oliver. But then the next year, it goes to Midnight Cowboy, which is a much more interesting, exciting film, and it kind of shows that sometimes the Oscars is playing catch-up with the culture a little bit. That said, even though I'm personally looking forward to the next year more so, I I'm grateful for all the films that were in this Best Picture category, and I'm grateful to Coda, and definitely think it was a deserved win. So for those of you keeping score at home, Dune went home with the most awards, that's six. Coda got three Oscars, and Eyes of Tammy Faye got two. Every other film we mentioned as a winner only won in that one category, for a total of 15 films walking away with awards. I really do like when they spread the wealth a little bit. Um, It's not unexpected that one very technically impressive film walks away with uh the most awards i'm thinking of mad max in the uh, 2016 ceremony but if any film's gonna do it dune is definitely deserving so happy to see that okay let's close with the will smith and chris rock incident so (laughs) if you made it this far then I take it you are a trusted listener or a close family member or friend, so I don't feel any real hesitation in sharing my true opinions on the matter, Um, and thank you also for listening this long. It means a lot. So I want to preface this with just saying that people can make mistakes. All of us are a complicated combination of horrible, violent impulses and innate, unexplainable kindness celebrities are no different that said everything about what will smith did last night felt really disturbing to me personally um him getting to stay in the ceremony after assaulting someone the standing ovation he received after his win and then his speech framing himself as a protector and reframing the narrative as to be much more noble than it was. Um, I'm thinking of Mike Morrison's quote uh, that he, his tweet, so, quote, 
Only Hollywood would cheer on someone who just assaulted someone else on live television, end quote. And I feel like that really sums up my feelings around it. Ultimately, I just feel like it it highlights how toxic our culture is right now. We watched one of the most famous, richest people in the world publicly assault another person over a joke, over words. And then we watched that man win an award and receive a standing ovation. And then in the speech, he framed himself as the victim. He was crying over whether or not the Academy will invite him back. He apologized to the other nominees, but not to the person who he assaulted. And then the next morning, NBC runs an article about the moment and how it it ranks alongside eight other crazy moments from Oscars history. The rich and powerful face no consequences for their actions, and us everyday people just divide ourselves into factions over whether or not this rich person who we've never met and have no relationship with is right or who's wrong. And even when we have live video evidence of the event, there's still somehow discrepancies and a conversation to be had. And you can look to Twitter now and you'll see some of that arguing. And I just think it encapsulates what what is kind of fucked right now with how we engage in discourse and how we treat people who happen to be famous. I just, yeah, I find it really disturbing and I don't know what is the career of these two men (laughs) is going to look like a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. But I would not be at all surprised if the assaulter faces no real consequences. I also think it's selfish because it takes the moment away from some kind and very talented people doing amazing work, right? Like, everyone's speech after that, and even before that now, looking back in history, is tainted with that one impulsive action, right? Especially Questlove, who was the person to receive an award immediately after the event. He was the next award for a documentary feature, Summer of Soul. And that film is just so important and so worthwhile. And his award now is going to be forever tainted with having to watch that seconds earlier. So I just, I hope there are some consequences for this, but I'm not holding out hope. No good way to wrap up a podcast after that. Maybe I would just reiterate, thank you for listening. Um, This is a episode every year that I really, really enjoy doing other than counting down the top episodes. This is the only real recurring one and there's a reason for that i love recording these i love trying to watch as many oscar films as possible even though it can be grueling and i often dislike some of them but it's a it's a worthwhile endeavor in the end in my opinion just to reiterate i have those top five films that i really hope you'll go see if you haven't seen them yet um that's the queen of basketball the long goodbye summer of soul or when the revolution cannot be televised Flea, and The Worst Person in the World. I'll put how you can watch those in the description, and I hope you'll check them out. Yeah, if you made it this far, let me know what uh, your favorite films from this Oscars year were. Did you 
catch many of them? Were there any that you think were real snubs? I know for me, uh, Come On, Come On, which I talked about in the top five, and then In the Heights were two major snubs for me. Both of those films getting nothing. Joaquin Phoenix not getting nominated. Uh, no production design for In the Heights. All of that was pretty disappointing to see. But, hey, that's how it works every year. There are some that don't deserve their slot in some people's opinions, and then some that do deserve a spot. So, yeah, keep the conversation going. Let me know how you feel. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time.